Would you take your Bibles with me and turn to Acts chapter 2, verse 42? Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And as you know, we've been doing a series this month on the church. As I was preparing for today, I was overwhelmed. And any of you who've ever prepared a teaching or a message, there's something that happens as you're preparing. I would say when your heart begins to be stirred and you move from being simply an academic exercise to where the spirit of the Lord begins to rise up within you. Maybe you've experienced that when you pray. As you're praying and you're going through your prayers and you're talking to God, but then all of a sudden your spirit is quickened. And then prayer comes alive. It's like witnessing to people and you start to talk to someone about the Lord or to testify them about the goodness of the Lord. And all of a sudden, it's as if the spirit kicks in, boom. And it's like, it's no longer you speaking, but it's the Holy Spirit that's just flowing through you. That's the place where we want to operate. We want to operate to be channels that the Holy Spirit works and flows through us, okay? That's where the scripture talks to us about walking in the spirit and keeping in step with the spirit. And as I was preparing for today, I was overwhelmed by this sense of how much God loves the church. The Bible refers to the church as the bride of Christ. We're referred to as the children of God, the family of God, and the household of God. When you think about how much you love your children and how much you love your spouse and how much you love your family, when you think about them on a day-to-day basis, sometimes we can take those people for granted. Maybe it's just your spouse that does it to you. I don't know. There's times where we can take our loved ones for granted and then something will happen and we'll be like, oh my goodness. You'll hear about someone who lost a family member or you'll see something difficult or maybe you'll have a bad dream or something and you're awake and you're like, oh my goodness, how valuable my family is, how important they are to me, how much I care for them. As I was preparing, the Lord just reminded me of how valuable and precious the church is in his sight. Others may not see it as he does, but the church is glorious. He's coming for a glorious church. The church is special to him. Others might be hateful towards the church and focus upon her perceived flaws and imperfections. Yet the church is his delight and he rejoices over the church. It's in his presence where she is secure, where she is fulfilled, and where she reaches her potential. It's in his presence where she says, this is what I was created for. When we understand the church and God's love for it, I also had this image in my mind of, as parents, we love our kids. They're precious to us. Not everybody realizes how precious our kids are. And I was thinking, I don't mean this to be offensive, but I was thinking of parents who, your child has a disability or there's something that the world and people at school are mean. Kids are just hateful sometimes. What kind of family did you grow up in to act like that? But people are, they're, they're vicious. And they'll look for any type of flaw, any type of weakness that they would say. They love to taunt people because of that or to pick on them or to belittle them. But you think as a parent, when you have a child, I remember seeing my children for the first time. There's this overwhelming sense of love that you have for them. You would die for them. You would give anything. You would do whatever you had to for them. The reality of it is, is that Jesus did die for the bride for his family, the church. 
When he looks at the church, he doesn't see. You may be one of those people who look at people and see all of their imperfections and all of their flaws. And by nature, you may naturally be somewhat critical of them or look down upon them or kind of pick them apart as you stand and watch. That's not the way he sees his church. I'm telling you, he sees it as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle, washed in the blood of the lamb. It's a church that he gave his life for. So there's a problem that we have is whenever the world looks at the church and sometimes that attitude has got into our hearts sometimes. And there's a despising of the church, a critical spirit towards the church. But when you realize how much the Lord loves the church, when you get a glimpse of that, I'm going to tell you what, it starts to change your attitude. It starts to change your heart. And you realize the church is beautiful. It's awesome. It's amazing. The church is God's means to save the world. The church is God's, it's God's representation here upon this earth. And, you know, you may say, it's like someone who says, well, you know, I love children, but you don't take care of your own. I believe completely in marriage. Why you got another boyfriend or girlfriend? You don't believe in marriage. You're a stinking liar. When you love the Lord, he's going to put a love in your heart for the church. He's going to put something in your heart, a passion in your heart for his church because you recognize the place that it holds in his heart. As I was praying on, as I was, the Lord was just bringing that to my mind. I was just being overwhelmed by how much he loves the church. I'm sitting at my computer and I'm studying, I'm reading and I'm typing and tears begin to run down my face as I begin to sense this affirmation from the Lord. It's nice to be affirmed by the Lord. It's nice to hear him when he speaks to your heart. It's just one of those things of, ah, I'm doing the right thing. It's one of those things when he speaks to your heart, it's like, ah, it feels, but it's so powerful when you know that he's pleased with something, that you understand it. It's like you can keep going on. And and I just sensed this affirmation from the Lord. And I felt like he said this to me, you've chosen what I've loved. You've valued what I've valued and you're gonna be rewarded for it. And I sense that's true for all those who love and value what God loves and values. You watch what God does in our lives as we value the things that are important to him. The Lord is passionate about souls. He's passionate about lost people. And when you become passionate about people who are lost and you become driven by people who are lost and reaching them, I'm gonna tell you the favor of God begins to fall on your life. His favor follows you. And when you become passionate about the church and you begin to love what he loves, because as imperfect as she is, as flawed as she is, she's his bride. They're his children. Don't allow the king to catch you despising his bride or neglecting his children. You don't want it to be when the king sees that. When the king comes, you want to see him honoring his bride, esteeming his bride, and caring for and protecting and looking out for the welfare of his children. This is not about me, but but this was my personal experience. I want to tell you my experience. As I'm there, tears are running down my face. You know how things go through your mind like really quickly, boom, 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 almost like synapses in your brain, just like thoughts firing off. And instantly my mind went back to uh, where Herb and Mary's son used to be on staff in uh, Central Assembly in Cumberland, Maryland. I was 16 years old, 
I'm sitting in their youth room with a friend of mine, and we, they were having like a youth revival type thing. It was a very powerful service. I remember standing up for the first time. I was like out of breath, but God had spoken to me. And I remember standing up and saying, because they were giving testimonies. And I remember saying, I feel like God has called me to the ministry. I couldn't imagine him calling me. But I stood up for that first time. And from that time on, my life has been directed. I didn't know what he wanted me to do. I thought I was going to be a prison chaplain. That's what I originally went to college for. And the Lord directed me. And then I thought back very quickly. My mind went to a 19-year-old girl, one year out of high school, and a 21-year-old young man who got married. And seven days later, they were off for seven days. Seven days later, they started. I'd already been working in the church. We honeymooned for six days. The seventh day, we loaded up our stuff into the church van and made two trips from Phoenixville to Baltimore and Phoenixville to Baltimore back, moving our stuff in. And from that point on, I can document 70 some hours a week, every week, year after year, where we spend 70, at least 70 hours every week investing in a church. And there's times where you start to look at yourself and maybe you've never been there, but is this worth it? Is this stupid? Because God, I don't always see the results I want to see and I don't always see the things. But can I tell you when the Lord says, you've chosen what I've chosen and you've loved what I've loved and I'm going to reward you for that. It's one of those things where you're like, yes, Lord, I would do it all again. I would do it again. And if you give me 20, 50 lives, I would do it all again. Why? Because when you love what he loves and when you value what he values, there's a reward that comes to you. And it may not necessarily be in the things that we see in this world. Although I believe this, this is what I sense the Lord saying to us. If you will love what he loves and you will value what he values, there will be an acceleration of ministry, okay? Things that have been taking a long time to take place. When you are faithful, and some of you, your ministry, you've been teaching kids, You're raising children to be godly men and women. There is an acceleration. It's almost like it's just God's time. And God begins to accelerate in ministry that used to be such a push and you'd have to put so much into it. There comes a place where God just breaks through and there's a breakthrough and it just flows naturally. It's not gonna be you working 80 hours a week to accomplish the work. It's gonna be you working 30 hours a week and God's gonna accomplish 100 hours worth of work in your 30 hours. You understand that principle? You're witnessing, you're ministering to people. Your prayers are gonna become empowered when you love what he loves and you value what he values. Because remember we talked about this just the other week. On earth as it is in heaven, That's our prayer. Lord, let it be on earth as it is in heaven. It's not a struggle in heaven. It's not a battle in heaven. And Jesus has already won the victory. And so the church that he loves, the church that he is passionate about, the church that he is passionate about, he's going to advance his church. And I want to encourage you to get on board with what God is doing. Okay, get on board with what he's doing. If you don't have a love for the church and you find yourself being critical, well, I don't know if we need church. I just encourage you to spend some time in the word reading what he says about his church, what he's building. He's building a church that's going to be without spot or wrinkle. As we go to our text in Acts 2.42, the New Testament church, we know that in one day, in one day, it took a while to get there, but in one day, 3,000 people were added to the church. And this is what it says about the New Testament church. It says, 
that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. The first thing that we want to see about the New Testament church and and what we need to be about, they devoted themselves. They dedicated or committed themselves to something. In our world today, our society today does not want you to be dedicated. What a lot of people really like is if you can do it 57 minutes and you can have the best possible performance, you have the best possible performance that we can possibly have and I will feel really good. Can I tell you the vast part of ministry does not take place with you sitting there looking this direction. This is a small part of what ministry is. I'm going to get to that towards the end of the scripture. But the vast part of ministry where the church is most effective is not when we're sitting looking at me, but when we're around a table together, when we're reaching out to other people, when we're involved in the lives of other people, that's where ministry really takes place. They devoted themselves, the first thing to was the apostles' teachings. That's only a portion of it. They received the word, they retained the word, And they acted upon the word they received, okay? So they received the word with gladness. They were here. They were eager to hear. They received it. They took it into their hearts. They were hungry to hear. They retained the word. They didn't let it go in one ear and out the other, but they applied it to their hearts. And then they acted upon the word that they received. They committed themselves, secondly, to fellowship, Fellowship in the overall sense. They were committed to community. Everybody say community. They were committed to mutual relationship and to koinonia, which is the Greek term. They were dedicated to one another as a group and as a whole. When you fail to understand the value of fellowship, when you fail to understand the value of commitment to a local body. I don't care how spiritual you think you are. You are missing out on one of the greatest opportunities that you could ever possibly have. It's a joy and it's a delight to be a part of a family of God. Now, here's the thing. I love the family of God. Where it works out, I love the idea of being a mother. This is wonderful. I can't wait. Where it works out is the day-to-day things when kids are sick. Huh? It's the joy and it's the sorrows and, and it's the laughter and it's the delight that comes so many times after the fact. And that's the same thing with being a part of the family of God. There's some work to it. There's some commitment to it. It takes something from you. It's hard to be really selfish when you grow up in a big family. You ever notice that? It's hard to be selfish when you grow up in a big family because you have to learn to work together. Commitment to the whole. The third thing is the breaking of bread. This goes beyond participating in the Lord's Supper. They were committed. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. This was a common practice of the church. It wasn't a once a year event that you signed up for and got dressed up for and drove to Shady Maple for on Christmas. That's not the breaking of bread. The breaking of bread is after church today is whenever you take the time And you say to somebody else, why don't you come on over to my house? We got some extra soup. Why don't you come on over? 
Now, a lot of times people, we feel like we have to have the perfect house and we have to have the perfect meal. Maybe some of us aren't the perfect housekeeper or we don't, aren't the perfect cook. So for those of you who fall into that category, Wendy's right down the street sells a bowl of chili for like $1.89. And if it's, things are tough, you can tell your kids no soda. We're drinking water. It's healthier for you. You can go to Wendy's for $1.89 and have a bowl of chili and sit and talk with other people and share. There's no reason today why we can't make time for one another. And what you'll find is that when you make time for one another, you'll find that some of that longing in your heart, the loneliness that so many people struggle with, the feeling separate, the lack of connection. And can I kind of say this to you too? We don't usually need connection when things are going great. When things are going great, I don't need anybody. And yet, how many times in life are there those moments where we walk in and we just say, who do I talk to about that? Can I tell you the sad thing is? We have to pay $135 an hour to go to a counselor or 125 bucks an hour to really be able to talk to somebody. Don't get me wrong, but thank God for godly counselor and the wisdom and doctors and everybody. Thank God for them. But a lot of the issues of life could be shared together as older women teach the younger women. As brothers meet together and share their hearts and older men investing in the lives of younger men, sharing with them, I've been through this, I've walked through this, I've already been down that road. Let me give you some advice that will save you years of trouble and years of time. And so it's in that sharing life together, the breaking of bread, community eating together, doing life together. The final thing is prayer. They committed themselves to prayer. They didn't just pray alone. There's something powerful about when you pray with another believer, something incredible. In some churches, they would say a man should never pray for a woman. They don't want men ever praying for women. I'm like, well, if you got that much of a problem, sir, you should probably not be praying for anybody You should go pray for yourself. I don't have a problem. I think there's a danger of people getting too close praying together, particularly the opposite sex, because when you start to pray with somebody, there's a very powerful intimacy that comes together. You get together with some friends and start praying and pouring out your heart to the Lord together. Watch a move of God in any of our services where people are around the altar and the guys will be hugging on each other and they'll be crying. They'll be putting their arm around each other. It works amongst our teenagers when they go to youth convention and God moves on their heart. It works amongst the old, even people who don't want to be hugged. Somehow they're like, hey, yeah, I kind of like you too. You know, <laughs> There's a connection that happens when we pray together. There's something that when you hear someone's prayers and you hear someone pouring out their heart to God, there's something about it that quickens our spirit. And that's why God tells us to pray for our enemies. Because if you pray for someone long enough, they will no longer be your enemy. I'm just telling you, God changes your heart when you pray with other people and when you spend time with them. It's just an amazing thing that God does. And he unites people as one. That's why prayer in our homes is really important. That's why husbands and wives, sometimes when we neglect that, that's one of the most powerful things we can do is pray together and to pray over our kids and with our children. You know, there's 59 of these one another scriptures in the New Testament. Of those, 15 times we're told to love one another. Four times we're told to greet one another with a holy kiss. 
And here are a few of the other things we're told to do. We're told to accept one another. We're told to admonish one another. We're told to be at peace with one another. We're told to be devoted to one another. We're told to be kind and compassionate to one another. To be patient with one another. To bear one another's burdens. To bear with one another. To build up one another. We're told to confess our sins one to another. We're told to encourage one another. To forgive one another. To have equal concern for one another. To honor one another. To instruct one another. To live in harmony with one another. To offer hospitality to one another. We are told to, in love, prefer one another. We're told to serve one another, to spur on one another, to stop passing judgment on one another, to submit to one another, to teach one another, to wait for one another, and to pray for one another. The church has its greatest impact when we become engaged in one another ministry. Most of the one another things that are done are not done while you're looking at the back of another Christian's head. How many faces do you see? Most of the ministry, listen, people think that this is the church. This is an important aspect of it. This is the teaching of the word of God. But if all your idea of the church is for the hour and 25 minutes on a Sunday morning, for 40 of those minutes, you look at the back of another person's head. That's not the one another ministry that he's talking about. There's something more to it. We're not just to attend church. We're to be the church. And that's done as we interact with one another face to face. That's done as we forgive and bear with and build up and confess our sins, and encourage, and forgive, and honor, and instruct that whole list that we share with you. We made time today for ministry to take place. The first thing I want to ask you to do is this. I want to ask you, if you've come from a background where you think church is something that's, maybe you've been hurt in some way. The church has disappointed you. Somebody disappointed If you haven't, then I would say you haven't been around church long enough, okay? If you've been married and never had your feelings hurt, I would say you probably haven't been married very long, okay? If you're part of a family and no one in the family ever offended you, I would say you're probably an only child and don't have parents. So the reality of it is you're going to be hurt, okay? Someone's going to overlook you. Someone's not going to appreciate you. That's part of life. You're a big boy. You're a big girl. Let's get up. It's going to be fine. But here's the thing. What if we start asking God, God, would you give me your heart for the church? Would you give me your love for the church? Because what's the church? It's his body. It's his family. It's my brothers and sisters in Christ. It's those people, some who are more mature than others and some who are less mature than others. But they're all in the same place. We're all in desperate need of a savior. We're all flawed and broken, and yet we've been adopted into this glorious family. 
So God, would you give me a love for your church? And, and if you've had a disrespect, I want to call you to a place of repentance. If you say, ah, oh, the church, I can take it or leave it. You know what? It doesn't matter what they've done. This is about your attitude and your heart. And your heart and your attitude needs to be right to the bride, towards his family, okay? So when he comes, don't let him catch you despising his bride and neglecting his children, all right? So we're going to ask God, God, would you give me a love for your church? The cool thing is when he gives you a love for his church, that's where you're going to find your fulfillment, friend. That's where your gifts are going to be released. That's where you're going to start seeing there's something so cool about being a part of what God is all about, and he's all about his church. It's his visible representation. Can I ask you to do this? Can I ask you to ask God, God, can you use me today? Can I be a part of this one another? Can I go to somebody else and pray for them? Can I move out of my pew? Can I take a risk and really be your hands and your feet? Once you do it, and once you have God flow through you, it's addicting. I never did crack, just so you know. Never did any crack. But I can guarantee you that cannot possibly compare with being used by God and hearing those words of affirmation. You did just what I wanted you to do. There's something that satisfies our heart like nothing else in the world. Father, today I pray as we ask you to minister to hearts and to lives today, as we ask you, Lord, to encourage and to release the gifts of your Holy Spirit in this room. I'm asking you, Lord, that we'd be the church. And Lord, the one who says, I wish somebody would, I pray that they would today give away what they're wishing for. They want someone to affirm them. They want someone to love them. They want someone to care for them. I pray that they would give it away today. And I pray that you would satisfy their hearts with good things. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.